0: she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Reyes Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Listener discretion is advised, as this content is intended for adult audiences only. Hidden Signal.
1: Q Code presents Hidden Signal, Assassin's Dream Part 1.
2: It began like the dreams always began. First, there were only colors. So vivid, Finch could almost feel the neon pinks and candy yellows piercing through her corneas. Then sounds, the skip of a record player, a stiletto heel snapping on uneven cobblestone, telephone wires buzzing in the distance. Once the images took shape, she was running out of time. Tonight, it was party clowns, about two dozen of them, dancing in sync like some deranged flash mob. And they were crying, sobbing more like tears and snot washing down their painted cheeks like swirling watercolors of despair. It would have been low-key terrifying, Finch thought, if it wasn't so goddamn dramatic. To make matters more fucked up, each clown held in their hands a tiny purring kitten. Finch counted 21 kittens total. She hadn't seen a real live cat since the feline flu wiped them out when she was a teenager. Here, kitty, kitty. As for how the rest played out, Finch wasn't going to get that far. She never saw the end of a dream, or at least not their real endings. No, these dreams always concluded in the same unremarkable way, total unrelenting darkness, sucked inside a digital black hole and erased forever, dragged into the proverbial trash with one easy click of a button. Finch should know, she was the one doing the clicking. Standing there in that musty warehouse bedroom, remote control in her hand, Finch slipped the VR headset off her eyes and up onto her freckled forehead. She leaned over the man's bed and carefully removed the electrodes from his temples, trying to read his sleeping face. If he was lucky, he'd go on to have an empty, uneventful slumber, wake up relatively refreshed and none the wiser, The not-so-lucky ones got nightmares for God knows how long, and no one ever came to erase those. She thought she saw his eyelids flutter. Poor bastard. A jumpy voice rattled in her earpiece. Yo, girl, you taking a shit up there? Kittens, Finch said innocently, as she swung her chrome briefcase into the back seat of a matte black sedan. Her partner, A suave and solid man named Reza gave her a stern once-over from behind the wheel. You keep cutting it close like that, and it ain't going to end well for you or me, he said, starting the ignition and beginning their bleak night crawl through the dark and hollow streets of downtown Los Angeles. Hey, just because I let you drive doesn't mean you get to big brother me, Finch joked, not wanting to admit he was right. She had been playing with fire lately, peeking into people's minds the way teenagers snuck into R-rated movies, staying longer and longer each time. Finch popped a piece of Nicorette. Where are we headed? The sun would be up in a couple of hours, and they still had their quota to meet. No less than 13 beds a shift. Finch always wondered who had picked that number. Thirteen probably some pencil-pushing nepo-baby who believed in soulmates and astrology. Mulholland, Reza said, pointing to the dash where the GPS computer screen that told them where to go displayed a map of flashing orange dots, making the city look like the 4th of July. Call came in while you were doing your hit, he said. Finch hated when agents called it that, doing a hit, like they were in some bad mob movie though she guessed they were a type of hired gun. They were dream assassins. Military-trained special agents belonging to a covert counterterrorism unit overseen by the United States government, practicing the highly classified art of making tiny pieces of people's subconscious disappear. What about the Valley guys? She said, protesting. Finch had a hard time believing of all the teams on patrol tonight They were the closest to Mulholland. Plus, the cannon gave her the creeps. Reza just shrugged. They went where the call sent them, mostly to cramped apartments in Hollywood, dilapidated houses around the reservoir, semi-abandoned lofts in the art district. Only about 12% of the U.S. population still had the ability to dream, and the majority of those dreamers were right here in Los Angeles County. But the reality was, L.A. was a few short years away from joining the rest of the country and becoming a completely dreamless city. It wasn't always this way, of course. There was a time when Los Angeles was the city where people followed their dreams to, a final destination of wild hope and untold possibilities, or so Finch had heard. The year she was born... A gym teacher from Pine Bluff, Arkansas drove 1,200 miles to Atlantic City with a truck full of explosives and blew up a casino, killing 700 people. He told police he'd been called to action in a dream. A month later, a retired librarian burned an entire block of Wall Street to the ground. A few weeks after that, a courtroom stenographer assassinated Cook County's chief prosecutor with a kitchen knife. On the same day, a college senior brought a semi-automatic to his graduation ceremony and opened fire. They, too, named their dreams as the reason behind their attacks. Cable news called them dream terrorists— The autopsies of their brains revealed these seemingly unconnected strangers had all been infected by the same untreatable virus, origin still unknown, that was slowly creeping its way through the collective subconscious, poisoning the minds of sleeping Americans with incendiary notions, and triggering otherwise peaceful individuals to wake up and carry out unhinged acts of violence upon their neighbors. No one was safe from the threat of terror. Everyone had to sleep eventually. The only way to stop the spread, the government decided, was containment. But with no way of distinguishing a healthy dream from an infected one before it was too late, the conclusion was all dreams had to go. Giving agents of the state like Finch free reign to monitor and wipe clean the minds of hundreds of thousands of dreamers, in the name of national security. And now, the only people left chasing dreams were disenchanted cynics like herself. Finch reached out for the stereo dial as Hey Jude came on the radio and switched the channel. Hey, that's my jam, Reza said. I hate the Beatles. Who hates the Beatles? He could see she was in no mood and decided to drop it. They drove the rest of the way listening to a news report about a radiologist with a family of four who had disappeared the night before from his Franklin Hills neighborhood. It was the third missing person report in less than a month, and the police department thought there might be a serial killer on the loose. Finch caught herself thinking about kittens. When Finch got home, the sun was already halfway in the sky. She'd been working night shifts for nearly a decade, and still found it beyond unsettling to end her day under bluebird conditions. She picked at a leftover burrito from her half-empty fridge and thought about texting Reza a meme of a kitten playing the harmonica she found on the internet. But Finch didn't want to invite another lecture. They had first met as young agency recruits in the same freshman class. Instead of fucking, the pair became fast friends— Reza helped Finch study for her written exams, and Finch taught him how to take the safety off his gun during a daunting first target practice. Truth be told, it was nice having someone she could lean on during those grueling days of training, especially given how only a third of trainees actually lasted until graduation. When it came time for their placements, they both requested to be put on the dream team, as the new recruits love to call it. It wasn't as flashy as some of the agency's other assignments, but Finch knew it held the highest stakes. When every bed contained a potential future terrorist, all it took was one dream to slip through the cracks for the fate of the entire country to hang in the balance. It didn't hurt, too, that Finch preferred to move in the shadows. Her and Reza had been partners ever since. Finch put away her phone and played a couple rounds of darts. Then she masturbated to a low-quality lesbian threesome and passed out. The nightmare started as soon as she shut her eyes and lasted all night. Unlike the kittens, there was no button Finch could press to make the images disappear. There was no escape from the horror. But as in the dreams, Finch never saw how the nightmare ended. Her screams always woke her before she reached the final act. The following night, Finch and Reza were called to a sprawling bungalow by the beach. Finch let herself in the front door with her master key, legal breaking and entering, the agency made a point of noting during training, and followed the dream sensor on a wristwatch to an upstairs bedroom. Sound asleep under a violet comforter was a girl, no more than eight years old, She had wavy golden hair, and her eyelashes blew in the breeze of the open window. Fuck, Finch whispered to herself. She hated children's dreams. They were all velvet and butterflies and things Finch never experienced as a child herself. So yeah, guess she was resentful. The sad truth was, Finch had no memories of her childhood before the age of nine. All she knew was she had been told her parents had died shortly after her ninth birthday, a tragic accident of which she was lucky to survive. Having no other family to speak of, she was sent to a home for orphaned girls, where she was beaten and bruised. That she remembered all too clearly until the accountant had found her and taken her in. The timer on Finch's wrist began its countdown, marking 30 seconds until go time, Finch had to move fast. There was only a small window where a dream, or episode, as the agency preferred to call them, could be caught and eliminated. The dreamer had to be halfway through REM, not a minute sooner, not a second later. Timing in this job was everything. Finch popped her chrome briefcase open on the carpet and began pulling out her kit. Headset, remote, electrodes, A car alarm sounded off outside, echoing through the room like an orchestra. Finch froze in place. A statue crouched at the foot of the bed. Shit! She held her breath and waited. If a dreamer woke before the job was done, procedure was to wait until they fell back into REM, which could take hours. But the girl was still asleep. Finch exhaled, composing herself. She checked her watch. Six seconds... Now five. Finch stuck the electrodes onto the girl's forehead, lowered her headset over her eyes, and settled in for the show. The girl's dreams started like the others. Colors first, blues and bluey greens, then sounds. Raindrops on a gravel roof, a jump rope smacking schoolyard pavement. It wasn't until Finch smelled that syrupy sweetness and tasted the burnt smoke that she realized this dream wasn't like the others at all. How was she able to feel those warm Santa Ana winds washing over her? Was this a glitch? It was like she had somehow crossed an invisible line from mere observer to active participant, and it felt odd. It felt wrong. When the woman with the rainbow hair showed up, Finch knew she should get the hell out But the woman's thick eyeliner and pierced eyebrows only drew Finch further in. When the woman started to speak, Finch was hooked. Pardon me, but he didn't quite catch that. Finch could not make out a goddamn word. The woman spoke some more and then looked at Finch searchingly, like she was waiting for some sort of response. Ask that again? I couldn't hear you. Finch was reaching the point of no return. It was time to bring the blackness, but surely she could stay a couple more seconds. She wanted, no, needed, to hear this woman's question. Wait, just say that one more time. And just like that, the woman and her rainbow hair were gone. The dream was over. For the first time in her career, Finch had fail to click the button.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? Like you want to start working on a project for a class or your job, but your brain just keeps on telling you to put it off for months on months until the deadline is a week away. Or maybe you just want to fall asleep, but your racing thoughts keep you awake. It's hard when you know what you should do, what's good for you, but your brain won't let you do it. Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. And therapy isn't just for people who have experienced major loss or trauma. Therapy is helpful for anyone at any point in their lives. It can help increase your self-esteem, change your negative thought patterns and cycles, learn positive coping skills, and so much more. If you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. No more sitting on a wait list for months on end waiting for a therapist to be available. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Evergreen to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Evergreen.
2: You look like you saw a fucking ghost. You look like you saw a fucking ghost in there, Reza said jokingly as Finch sat down beside him. Not so innocently this time. This time, she felt like she might puke. I fucked up, Finch said quietly. Listen, I'm sorry for busting your balls before. That was my bad. No, she said more forcefully. Like I really fucked up. Finch turned to him and Reza could see on her face she wasn't playing. Oh, he said, connecting the dots. Fuck. He wasn't about to mansplain the consequences of missing a dream to her. They both knew. If a dream was allowed to play to completion, it got lost in the back of the dreamer's subconscious, lodged somewhere deep in limbo, totally unretrievable, undetectable, Even if the dreamer didn't remember the contents of the dream when they awoke, they'd remember having it. And two, three, five years down the line, who was to say it wouldn't all come rushing back? A seed planted for a future, potentially cataclysmic harvest. I'm gonna get Alaska'd," Finch said, the graveness of the situation suddenly backhanding her into the face. The last time an agent failed to erase a dream... The agency relocated him to a small town in Alaska, and no one ever saw or heard from him again. There were rumors he didn't even work for the agency anymore. There were rumors he was dead. Finch's chest went tight, and she started to hyperventilate in panic. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Hey, 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 Reza said, trying to calm her. You're not getting alaska You know they won't look the other way on this, Reza. Finch said in between quick, loud breaths. You said it yourself. Fuck! They won't have to look the other way, he said firmly, opening a file on the GPS screen with a swipe of his finger. Because that girl never had a dream. And with another swipe, he erased the little girl's data history from the system, like she was never there. Ray, you could get in major shit for this, Finch said her breath easing up. Thank you. Reza brushed her off. You'd do the same for me. She wanted to believe that was true. By the time Finch arrived back at her place, she was too wired to eat or sleep. She didn't even touch her vibrator, her mind spinning circles like a hamster on a wheel. Why hadn't she erased the girl's dream? It wasn't like her to choke. Despite Reza's teasings, Finch always pressed the button. She had no qualms killing dreams, no queasy feelings about snuffing out another person's internal light. But tonight, it was almost like there was something stopping her, something personal, like it was her own dream she had been tasked with erasing. Don't be fucking stupid, Finch. Finch had never had a natural dream of her own, And she was years away, if ever, from reaching the level of security clearance for a dream pass. And yet, everything about this kid's dream felt so real, so familiar. She woke up screaming for her life. The serious men were already waiting for her in the boardroom. The head of the department, a tall and nondescript man who went by Sim, spoke first. Thanks for coming in, he said. Rogers, his associate, poured three glasses of water for the table as Finch took a seat across from them. Reza was there too, eyes conspicuously down and avoiding her gaze. A first for him, she thought. What's this about? Finch asked, though she already knew the answer. Judging by Reza's schoolboy demeanor, this could be about only one thing. The girl. Sim said dryly, It's come to our attention that in the early morning hours of September 23rd, you failed to excise an episode belonging to... He looked down and checked his notes. Dreamer X24 TTY. Reza, clearly racked with guilt, blurted out, I'm sorry, Finch. I had to tell them. They already knew. Finch straightened her back. Yes, that's right. Finch said, nodding. No point in lying now. I missed the window. I see, Sim said. And did you watch it, he asked, an accusation spitting from his lips. Watch it? The episode. Did you watch it? Rogers repeated more harshly. What? No, no, of course not. This time Finch lied. She wasn't about to get written up for two things. You know agents are prohibited from watching episodes past colors, Rogers pushed. I was distracted, that's all, she said, so convincingly she almost believed her own words. A stupid mistake. I haven't been sleeping well. It won't happen again. No, it won't, Rogers said. His tone as serious as a heart attack. I'm sure we don't need to remind you of the grave implications a stupid mistake like this can have on national security. No, sir, you don't, Finch said. She doubted the girl was a future terrorist in waiting, but protocol was protocol. Am I fired? Finch asked, fearing the answer. You should be, Sim said, after a pause. But the fact is, you're one of our best agents. It would be a shame to see you squander such potential. Consider this a warning. Finch let out a fat sigh of relief. Thank you, sir. Boy, had she dodged a bullet. Then it occurred to her. What about the girl? What about her, Sim said. What will happen to her? Rogers replied. The girl is no longer your concern, Finch nodded, understanding she was being dismissed. She stood to leave. And Finch, Sim said, she turned back to the serious men in their waters. Take a couple of days at home and get some sleep. If only she could. Finch had barely made it through her apartment door when she got the text from Reza. Four words. Grandma loved her cocaine. Her stomach dropped. Four years ago, the two of them went to grab an after-work beer at a local dive when they accidentally crashed the funeral reception for Miranda Smalls, a spunky socialite known for her throwing ravish sex parties at her home in the hills well into her 80s. One of the cousins had mistaken Finch for a long-lost grandchild and asked her to say a few words. Before she knew it, Finch was standing on a tabletop, waving a bottle of top-shelf bourbon and making a toast to a room full of grieving drunks. Grandma loved her cocaine, is all she could think to say. The drunks went wild. It had been her and Reza's little inside joke ever since. It was also their code phrase for when shit seriously hit the fan. It was her cue to run. Finch peeked out her front window and watched as two men, one tall and one short, both wearing dark masks, packing obvious heat, stepped out a matte black sedan. The vehicle wasn't the same make or year as her and Reza's squad car, But she knew what she was looking at. Two government operatives coming to close her. Fucking Sim. So that's what he meant by sleep. She should have guessed they wouldn't believe her bullshit excuse. And now they wanted to make an example out of her. Well, the agency would have to be fucking stupid if they thought she was going to Alaska without a fight. Thing was, they weren't stupid, which meant she was likely scheduled to meet a much darker fate. Finch figured she had about 90 seconds until her door came bashing down. She grabbed a Ziploc bag containing her passports and IDs from its hiding place behind the dartboard and hastily stuffed it inside her backpack, along with a pistol and her car keys. Wasting no time, she reached behind the fridge and pulled out a dead, dust-covered rat. She cut into its taxidermied belly with her Swiss Army knife and retrieved a roll of cash and a burner phone a little storage hack she picked up watching old Cold War documentaries. As she took a last look around her apartment, Finch wondered who the agency had sent to do the deed, if she'd recognized them from training or from any of those rowdy holiday parties over the years. She sure as hell wasn't sticking around to find out. Finch tossed her phone in the toilet, ran the shower on hot, and hopped through the bathroom window out of sight. Finch drove her barracuda east with the speedometer kissing 90, and the stereo turned all the way off. Her head was exploding with enough what-the-heavenly-fucks to last a lifetime. She wasn't about to turn on public radio and add to the chaos. Now she had to focus on the road ahead. She had to focus on staying alive. Finch figured she'd lay low in Vegas for a few days until she worked out her next move. Is this really how it's all going to end? At the goddamn Bellagio? Her thoughts drifted to the accountant. Unable to quiet the accusatory voices telling her she'd thoroughly disappointed him, he was, after all, the one who had taught her everything she knew. After the paperwork went through with the orphanage, Finch lived with the accountant until the age of 18, at which point he felt she was ready to be inducted into the family business. She was as shocked as anyone to learn that the bumbling, potato-shaped man who had so selflessly taken her in as his own was not actually an accountant at all, but a top-level special agent for the United States government. She had always pictured special agents to be more James Bond than Mike Brady. That would teach her to believe anything she saw on TV. Appearances aside, the accountant quickly became Finch's closest confidant. Her hero, he saw a fire deep within her that no one up until that point had ever seen or cared to notice. He saw strength where the other kids saw weakness. Potential where the nuns just saw trouble. Embrace her superpower, kid. He would tell her whenever her chest was so tight she couldn't speak. She wouldn't be the agent she was today if not for him. She shuddered to think what he would say to her now. A coward on the run. Then, it was Sim's words running through her brain. The girl is no longer your concern. Funny, she thought, because from where she was sitting, the girl was the whole reason she was in this godforsaken mess. But still, a voice itched at her. Don't do it, Finch. She's not your problem. They'll probably just take her in for questioning. It's not like they're gonna... She made a Yui and headed back towards LA. Fucking conscience.
0: she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Reyes Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. After
2: five minutes of knocking, Finch was about to call it, She'd given it a good college try. No one could blame her for walking away. Of course, she could always use her master key to let herself inside. Before she had a chance to do either, the door to the sprawling bungalow swung open. Who are you? The girl asked more flatly. She was wearing heart-shaped sunglasses with a zip-up hoodie adorned with peace signs. Hi, Finch said awkwardly. She hated talking to kids, She never knew what tenor to make her voice and usually ended up sounding like a depressed robot. What's your name, little girl? Mia. She said it like it should be obvious. Is your mom home, Mia? My mom's dead, Mia said in that deadpan way kids who've had to grow up too fast do. Oh, Finch said, even more awkwardly. Is uh your dad home? Please don't be dead. Please don't be dead. Dad! And then Finch was eye to eye with Darius Marin, the impossibly handsome Hollywood it man, best known for his luxury car commercials and salacious DMs. What's this about? He said. His voice was butter on a freshly toasted bagel. Finch, starstruck, stumbled over her words. Oh, I, um... For a second, she forgot what had brought her to his door in the first place, the only thought running through her mind now being that he must use one hell of a moisturizer. Darius sighed, partially flattered, but mostly annoyed. If you're paparazzi, you know you can't be here while the lawsuit is ongoing. No, I'm... Jeez, you're really fucking this up. Your daughter is in danger. Finch said more assertively. I can't tell you any of the specifics because it's classified. As if that mattered now, she thought. But you two need to come with me. Darius took a moment to study this woman in his doorway, all too familiar with the art of the celebrity scam. Yeah, I don't think so, he said, closing the door. Finch blocked it with her hand. Hey, what the hell, lady, he said. Are you not hearing me? Bad people are coming for Mia. If we don't leave in the next 10 minutes, you're probably never going to see her again. Is that what you want? No. What I want is to enjoy my goddamn coffee without some stalker showing up at my door, Darius said, colder, his patience running low. Now, if you don't fuck off in the next 10 seconds, it's going to be my people coming for you. In court, got it? He slammed the door in her face. But Finch didn't fuck off. She couldn't. That goddamn conscience again. She stayed outside the house, sitting pretty in her car, knowing it was only a matter of time before they had visitors. Stalker? Huh. You wish you were my type, bro, Finch muttered to herself as she scanned the road. Ten minutes later... That matte black sedan rolled in like clockwork, quietly parking several driveways down the street. Amateurs, Finch thought, as she twisted a silencer onto her pistol. She waited for the masked men to sneak their way over the fence and through the bungalow's backyard before walking over to the sedan and shooting all four tires flat. Bang, bang, bitches. When she entered the house, the tall one had Darius tied up and gagged. The shorter one was draping a bag over Mia's head, getting her ready for transport, Finch assumed. They would want to interrogate her before they killed her. So this is what $5 million gets you by the beach, Finch said, taking in the architecture. The masked men slowly turned their heads to find Finch, aiming her gun right in their faces. The tall one reached for his holster. "'I wouldn't,' she said, and he moved his hand back. "'We're just here for the girl,' the tall one said. "'We don't want any trouble.' "'Oh, is that why you two showed up at my place? "'Something tells me you weren't doing a mental health check.' The short one piped up. "'We're following orders, Finch. Same as you.' "'Oh, yeah? Let's see if you can follow these,' Finch said, "'waving her gun. Throw your weapons.' The masked men did as she instructed and threw their guns at Finch's feet. She loved a pair of zip ties at their chests. Hands behind your backs. Come on, quickly. I don't have all day. The men began to zip tie their own wrists when suddenly the short one pulled a knife from his back waistband and hurled it at Finch, slicing her right bicep as she dropped her gun in pain. Ow, motherfucker. Finch hardly got her curse words out before the men were lunging themselves at her throwing punches and high kicks, of which Finch gladly returned the favor. The trio exchanged a shower of body blows until a roundhouse kick to the stomach knocked Finch onto her back. Give it up, you lost, the short one said. Famous last words, Finch said, launching back onto her feet and grabbing a golden statue from a nearby shelf of rather impressive awards. Sorry, Oscar. In two quick blinks, Finch spun around and swung Darius's Academy Award into the short man's jaw, sending him flying backwards, then turned and smoked the tall one in both kneecaps, taking him tumbling down. Finch swept her gun off the ground and re-pointed it at her crippled opponents. Seriously, why do men always have to do everything the hard way? After Darius was untied and Mia delivered safely back into her father's arms, Finch and her gun escorted the masked men back to their car. Get in, she said, popping the trunk. You've got to be fucking kidding, the tall one said. I've got jokes, all right, but this isn't one of them, Finch replied. Get the fuck in! They folded themselves into the trunk like resentful acrobats. They'll send someone else, the shorter one warned, a threat gurgling in his throat. They can try, Finch replied calmly. She put her hand on the trunk. Hope you're not afraid of the dark. The last words they heard before she locked them inside. They'd been driving for 30 minutes and still hadn't made it out of Malibu. Finch scanned her mirrors every few seconds for any sign of a tail. Let me get this straight, Darius said, running his hands through his hair and repeating back what Finch had just spent the last half hour explaining. Mia had a dream that should have been erased by a, what did you call it? A dream assassin? And now government agents are after her because the idiot who was supposed to erase the dream messed up and didn't do their job properly? Pretty much, Finch said, omitting the fine print that she was the idiot who had, in fact, messed up. Well, can't you do it now? Darius cried out. Erase the dream from her memories or whatever, so we can go home? It's too late for that, Finch said. And that's not how it works, she added. Then tell me how it fucking works. That's a classified, yeah, he grumbled bitterly. Can you at least tell me where we're going? Part of her wanted to, felt she owed him at least that. But if today taught her anything... It was that trust was a rare commodity around these parts. Sorry.
1: Hidden Signal Assassin's Dream is narrated by Erica Lewis. Written by Kat Senyuk. Directed by Lauren Senelli, Executive produced by Rob Hurding. Sandra Yi ling and Shin-Yin Hee-Yu. Co-producers Lawrence Zanelli, Sarah Ma, and Tom Breck. Original score and composition by Darren Johnson. Audio engineering and editing by Sarah Ma. Script supervisor, Tom Breck. Special thanks to Jack Friedman and Nick Shanks. This podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. Hidden Signal is a Q-Code production. Sound recording, copyright 2023 by Q-Code Media Inc.